Good morning. You get to hear a little bit more of me this morning. Uh, for some of you, that may be a good thing. For some of you, you may think, oh. Um, but we're going back to Luke. So over the last few weeks, we've had a break from our series. Um, so we had a break over the summer. Then we had talks about our vision series, um, which I may touch on a bit later, but you might have these booklets as a reminder of those. Um, so if you're new and you're wondering what, what we what our values are, what we believe, please take one of those. There are some in the back again, or I have some here. And, and last week was baptisms. Four of our young people got baptized last week, and it was uh, an, an incredible occasion, really exciting. And um, so, but we're back to Luke. <coughs> so we're, 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 our series is going through the Gospel of Luke. So you may want to turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, in your Bibles, if you have one, if you don't have one and want to follow, there's some just on the windowsills, and you can grab one of those and uh, open it up. So we're looking at Luke chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 33 to 39, which may be familiar to many of us. But I want to start with just, um, we have a friend who, a good number of years ago, about 15 years ago now, moved out to Turkey to start a new church out in Turkey in Istanbul to reach people from a Turkish background, and particularly those who have no knowledge and didn't believe in Jesus, to, to reach out and to build a church based on Turkish-speaking believers, and they wanted to build a Turkish uh, to church out there. And um, <coughs> so they spent quite a long time just learning language and learning culture, and then they started to open a meeting on a Sunday morning. Um, I think it's actually Friday morning, because Friday was their, their sort of... Um, weekend and they, they had this room and they started to meet they started to sing songs in Turkish they started speaking in Turkish and and after a while a couple of a couple of the Turkish people came to them and said we just want to ask you why don't you have a cross in the church and he said oh because we just don't agree with that sort of imagery and having those things around and we just wanted to make it sort of more open and, and not confrontation. said, no, you must have a cross in your church. Uh, and so <coughs> they did. They, they started and they put a cross, started to have a cross in the meetings um, when they were gathering and meeting together. Um, I don't know, often in conversations with people, do you have these moments when people will say to you, oh, you are religious? Have those moments? Or, or from their point of view, they may say, I'm not religious. What do, people think, what do people think that means when they say, we're not religious? They probably, I would imagine, see certain things done, like having a cross in a church, as something you have to do to be religious. There are certain ways you act, there are certain ways you sit in chairs, there are certain ways that you um, <coughs> behave, there are certain dress codes you have that make you religious. You may have to, you think you have to wear a cross to be a religious person. So people often ask these questions, don't they? And, and, and they think that being religious, you do various things. There's various things you must follow, you must comply with. <coughs> Excuse me. And even in conversations I've had with, with maybe other Christians from different churches in different concepts, in co contexts, People will often say, oh, you don't do that. 
like these guys in Turkey said, you don't have a church in your cross. Why, why don't you do that? Surely every church must have a cross in it. Surely that's what you do. Or if you can't be a proper church if you don't have a cross. Or why don't you do this? Surely you, every church must have a ministry to the poor because that's what churches do. They must do this. If you're not doing it, then you're not a proper church. I've had conversations like that with people. I don't know if you've had conversations like that with people. There's expectations that people have about what a Christian is like, what a religion looks like. Why do you do these things? Why don't you do these things? Because that's what we expect you to do. There is this idea, isn't there, of who is in and who is out. So if you don't do this, you're, you're out. If you do do this, then you must be in. This idea of in and out. So who is someone that you could pay attention to because you, they behave the way you expect them to? Or who is someone you discount is a nobody because you think they don't behave the way I expect them to? They don't do what I expect them to. Therefore, I'm going to count, discount them. They're a nobody. I don't include them. Who do you let define whether someone is a no one or a someone? Who do you let define that? At school, and if you remember back there, it's like, who were the cool kids at school? Who were the ones that were really cool? Who was allowed to hang out with them? And why were they allowed to hang out with them? Was it based on the way they looked? It was a cool way of dressing, things that they wore. If you wore the same things, you wore the designer brands, you were in with them. You were a somebody with them. If you didn't, then you were a no one. You were excluded from their community. Or maybe the types of music they listened to. Are you a grunge? I'm showing my age here now, aren't I? Um, you rap. Was, when I was growing up, it was, distinction was music. You listened to certain types of music. You belonged to a certain group of people. And you dressed a certain way. And if you did, then you were on the, in that group. If you didn't, you were out of that group and you were excluded. And they wouldn't think of you as a someone. Or even just like, because you enjoy reading, it means you don't fit in with some of the kids at school. And often what happens is you can start insulting people, can't you? You can see that happening, that people are insulted. Because, oh, look, you, you dress like that. What are you? God, you're a nobody. Why should I pay any attention to you? You're not part of our gang. We don't want anything to do with you. And it doesn't just stop at school, does it? In your college, maybe, in your workplace, friendship circles. There are often things that happen that <clears throat> you think, oh, I must, must get in with this group. We were... We were family members yesterday and um, he said I've started to have to, to, to learn and watch Formula One he says because the group of dads that I belong to they're all into Formula One <laughs> and he says I have no idea what they're talking about most of the time <laughs> um, and so I feel excluded I feel I don't feel included in the group so I had to start watching Formula One I started watching every race this season so I know what they're talking about but we can all feel like that, can't we? we can, there's those moments we feel, who makes, who defines us? Who, who defines who is in? Who defines who is out? And it's, the, it's how we feel then, isn't it? As whether we're included or excluded. Do we feel included? Or do we feel like I have to do things better to be included? 
like this family member, I have to start to look at Formula One because otherwise I'm going to feel excluded, I'm going to feel out, and I'm going to feel not part of the gang. And there are things that we either consciously or subconsciously, don't we, apply to people in this, in this way. We instantly start making judgments in our mind about who is in and who is out. But who do we let define this? Who defines who is in and who is out? This question of who is a nobody, I think, and who is a somebody, is at the heart of the bit of the Gospel of Luke that we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got the passage in Luke, I'm just going to read it. They said to him, this is the religious Pharisees that were following Jesus around at the time. Said so They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go eating and drinking. You see there the definition of who's in and who's out. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece of go- out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. You see, the Pharisees here, these are the self-proclaimed guardians of religious life and religious practice. They enforced who is excluded and who is included on their interpretation. They decided who was a no one and who was a someone based on what they said. Their question about fasting is exactly about this. The Pharisees have a vested interest in preserving the current system. It's what they do, it's their life. It's what they feel they've been instructed by God to do and put in place. They don't see the followers of Jesus doing things or not doing things that they should be doing. They come to them with this question. Come on a minute, hang on a minute, look. John's followers, so we know John, you know, he's, he's quite a religious person. His followers, they They fast. Our followers, the ones we tell and, 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 and have ideas of about who, we, who, who are ours, they, they fast as well. But Jesus, your followers don't. There's an implied sense of shame in this statement that they make. They're saying, your followers don't do what we expect them to do. Your followers don't do the things that we tell our followers to do. Therefore, that we can't accept them and actually, this goes even further because it says, they're saying, they're saying Jesus, because your followers don't do this, then you're their teacher. Therefore, you must be telling them this. Therefore, we're not going to pay any attention to you either because you are telling your followers not to fast. And we tell ours to fast. So by implication, because Jesus' followers are doing this, they think Jesus is an outsider. Jesus is no one. Why should they listen to him? Because he's not telling his followers to do what they should be doing. <coughs> it reflects on Jesus. Therefore, those people, they, they're looking for excuses not to listen to Jesus. 
because they think you're defining differently who is an insider and an outsider. For us, a someone is someone who obeys our rules, who fasts. And no one is something who doesn't listen to what we say. So therefore, we're not going to listen to them. And no one is your followers, Jesus. Therefore, you are a no one as well. We're not going to listen to you. But this is far from what Jesus has come to do. And Jesus challenges them. Jesus turns the whole thing about who is a no one and who is a someone on its head. Because in the parables that he goes on to talk about, this new garment and putting a patch on it, this new wineskin for new wine, he says, these are the things that actually really are really important. Because there's a new thing being done. Jesus says, I'm bringing something new. And something new doesn't just fit into your old way of doing things. And in fact, he ends up insulting the Pharisees by saying, actually, you are the no ones. You may think you're someone, but you're actually no one. Because no one (coughs) um, does the things that we're going to look at in a minute. What does no one do? No one tries to patch up an old garment with something new. But they can't because it's going to tear it apart. And no one is someone who tries to fit the new thing into something that that is already existing, that they think, okay, I understand and can make good. But it won't because it's inflexible. It's going to burst. It's not going to help. This is what no one does. And what's happened is these Pharisees have forgotten what Jesus has done. Immediately before we come to this passage in Matthew, three things happen. And if you've read these things, what, they, what happens? Firstly, Jesus touched a man with leprosy and he healed him. Leprosy was a disease that meant you had, there were certain rules and regulations that the Pharisees had to apply for someone who had leprosy, which meant you were not part of the community anymore. You couldn't associate with anyone. You couldn't touch anybody because you would pass on this to someone else. You were put outside the community not their fault, they just contracted this disease, but you had to follow these rules and someone had put them out. What does Jesus come along and do? Jesus comes along and touches this man. Not only does he touch him, he heals him of his leprosy so that he's no longer a no one, an outsider. He can be restored to the, king, to the, to the place of his community where he'd been rejected from. Jesus had touched him and restored him and brought him back from a place of shame and dishonor to a place of honor because Jesus had touched him. The Pharisees said, you're a no one until this is cured and, 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 and is gone. You have to stay out. But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to touch you. I That's the new thing. Jesus touches the leper. And not only is he not contaminated by the leper, he passes his healing and his life and his power into this person and restores them. It's one thing. The second thing is he heals a paralyzed man. If you remember this story, Jesus is teaching in a house, um, and actually there's a little crowd around him. The Pharisees are there, the religious leaders are there crowding in because they want to see Jesus, they want to hear Jesus. And there's this poor paralyzed man who's left outside. He can't get into Jesus because everyone, the religious leaders in particular are crowding around Jesus. And if you remember the story, his friends climb up on the roof, they dig a hole. And they drop him in. And Jesus forgives his sins and then heals him. This man is completely restored and completely healed. 
this is a new thing. The Pharisees couldn't do that. The Pharisees couldn't heal the leper and bring him back into the community. The Pharisees couldn't, <coughs> with their system, heal this paralyzed man. In fact, they considered him no one. He was a beggar. He had to be out on the streets. He had no way of making his own life. And yet Jesus sees him and heals him and restores him. Jesus brings him back to a place of honor and where, and, and where he's no longer shamed because of his physical ailment. Jesus heals him. And then the next thing he does is he goes and has dinner with a tax collector. Probably one of the most shameful people at that time because they colluded with the, with the occupying forces. They were often seen as corrupt because they would take not just the tax that they owe, but money for themselves. And they were considered shameful sinners by the Pharisees. They would not eat with um, tax collectors. In fact, just before this, the tax collectors, sorry, the Pharisees said, why, Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? Why are you eating with these people? And yet Jesus comes and restores him. He goes and eats with him. He, he, he doesn't shun him, but Jesus says, no. Come on, you need to sort it out. You need to sort this life out of corruption. It's not good. But you come and follow me. I'll, I'll restore you. Because I forgive your sins. This is, what Jesus, this is the new thing that Jesus is bringing in, is who is out and who is in. Jesus turns what the Pharisees are thinking on its head. He brings restoration to those who are excluded that the Pharisees would normally think of as nobodies. And he makes them a someone with him. He makes them a someone in Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus defines who is a someone and a no one from now on. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the religious system. It's Jesus who defines it. It's Jesus who defines who you are as a someone or a no one. Following Jesus makes you a someone, not a no one anymore. Because Jesus gives you a new identity. He says, you are a child of God. You may have had real difficulty and problems. You may have been excluded from your family because of your behavior or the things you've done or the way you've behaved or the way you've acted. You may not have a family anymore because of things that have gone on. But Jesus says, I make you a child of God. I restore you into a family relationship that is beyond anything you would have ever imagined. I don't exclude you. If you're willing to follow me, I bring you into this. It gives you a new identity. It gives us a new hope. It gives us a new future that's dependent only on him and what he's done and not on what we do. We no longer have to be looking at our behavior and our thoughts the whole time thinking, have I been good enough? That's the old way of doing things. But Jesus has brought a new way of doing things just by believing and having faith in him. This is the new wine that Jesus brings. This is like the new patch, if you like, that Jesus brings. But it's not just like a new patch. Because what does Jesus say? And no one tries to put a, an old, a new patch on something that's already old. And he says, you can't do that. Because it just doesn't match anymore. <laughs> you can see, obviously, can't you? I know it's, it's the cool kids now have holes in their jeans. <laughs> when I was growing up, holes were not cool. <laughs> oh, they're called ripped jeans. Okay, and I do apologize. <laughs> not just holes in your jeans. <laughs> um, but, you know, 
Maybe you grew up, you, you, your mum would patch your jeans, wouldn't they, if you got a hole in. You could always tell, couldn't you? Didn't match the old colour. Didn't match the old garment. It was completely new. And you could see people could say, you've got a hole in your jeans, haven't you? You've had a patch. And Jesus is saying the same thing. You know, this old system of who is in and who is out, you can't just bolt on a little bit. It's not a, mass, not a question of fasting or not fasting. I mean, Jesus, doesn't he? He doesn't qualify, does he, whether fasting is good or bad here. He doesn't say you must fast, you mustn't fast. He doesn't qualify what fasting is when the Pharisees ask him. He says, at the moment, this time, I'm with them. They don't need to fast. There'll be a time when they will fast. But right now, hey, I'm here. It's a time of wonder and excitement. We don't need to be fasting. But the Pharisees, no, you must. You must, must tell them, Jesus, add this to their list of things they need to do. Because this is the old way. And Jesus, now I'm completely doing something new. You can't just put a patch on. You can't just add a new, a new way of doing things to an old way of doing things. You're just going to burden people more and more by adding new things to things already there. That's not freedom. You're just adding an extra item to make somebody a nobody. Just adding an extra thing that's going to identify people who don't belong. You've already got a long enough list as it is. And now you want to add something else to it. That's not a new garment. You've got to start with something completely new. Otherwise it just doesn't work. It'll tear things apart. You've got to add something new. Um, I was, we had those amazing baptisms last week, didn't we? Our young people got baptised. And Underneath here, for those of you who are here, there's a, a pool which we fill with water. And we, we have two people standing either side. We say certain words. We put them into the water. We bring them out of the water. Is that how every person should be baptized? I'll leave that question with you. But we could say that, though, couldn't we? We could say this could be a, a, you know, a new patch that we want to put onto something, you must do it this way. If you're not, ooh, that person, you know what? They didn't fully go under the water. I see a little dry bit on their T-shirt. They're not baptized. Does that matter? If their faith in Jesus is what's caused them to come to that point, does it matter that their T-shirt's got a little not, not wet enough? Do I need to get baptised in white clothes? I've heard that. You're not baptised unless you've got baptised in a white robe. <clears throat> it's another thing. It's another religious thing that's been added <clears throat> that's going to exclude people rather than include people. Oh, if you're not baptised in white, you're a, you're a nobody. Something else. It's, Jesus is doing something new. So the, the no one is someone who clings to the past and wants to fit a new way to their existing way of doing things. Which, as I said, is just a new way of adding new rules and regulations. It just doesn't work. And no one is someone also is inflexible. <clears throat> Jesus talks about new wine. You don't put new wine in a new wineskin. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever brewed wine in a wineskin. Anyone brewed wine in a wineskin? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what brewing wine in a wineskin looks like. <clears throat> but there must be something to do with an old wineskin that's brewed wine is quite rigid, I guess. And the new wine, <clears throat> what I do know about brewing, 
is that when you brew, it creates gas. Okay, so it, it, that's what happens. I understand. And um, if you're putting it into something that's rigid and, and, and sort of quite cracked already, something that's going to produce gas is going to expand. It's going to... So you need something that's flexible, that will move as the wine ferments, as the, as the, the wine starts to grow. You need something that's flexible. And no one is someone who puts new wine, Jesus is saying, this, this new covenant of mine, this new way of, of a relationship with God just by following me, not by a set of rules. You can't fit it into this old way of following rules. It just won't work. It's just going to... It's going to cause tension. It's going to cause things to happen. There's a man who, who, who lived in a world where, where they built houses with nails. So they would have nails. They'd put, get bits of wood and they'd put hammer nails. So he had a hammer. And so in this land, he would build a house. They would have nails and he would have his hammer. And his tool would be there with him all the time. They would build houses with nails. One day he moved. He moved to another area, another region, where they didn't build houses with hammers, and with, sorry, with nails. They built them with screws. He came with his hammer, bang, 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 trying to build a house with, his, with, with the screws, with a hammer. Could do, probably, couldn't you? But he was, he was inflexible. He said, no, this is how I do it. I take my hammer and I build it with, with, with my hammer, regardless of the fact that you use screws instead of nails. Rather than listen to someone who says, you know what? We build with screws, but hey, look. We've got a special tool that we use. It's called a screwdriver. You can use a screwdriver, and this will build houses with screws much better than your hammer. But the man says, no, I'm going to use my hammer. That's this idea. And no one is someone who sticks to their old way of doing things, regardless. Because that's what they've been taught. That's what they know. But someone who follows Jesus is flexible. They need to be flexible to take on board what Jesus is saying. To understand what the gospel, what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not a rigid thing. It's something that's growing. Jesus calls the kingdom of God something like a mustard seed that will start small, but it will grow and expand. If you have a rigid system, you can't allow for that growth. So it's part of our vision. We have what we call community groups where we meet midweek. Now, these are places that we, where we love people to connect, where we love people to come together, to read the Bible, to pray, to look out for one another, to help one another, support one another. We could say <clears throat> our community groups meet on a Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. You must come at 8 o'clock. We, we have tea from 8 o'clock till 5 past 8. You come at five past eight, you miss out a cup of tea. From five past eight to a quarter past eight, we have a time of singing. Okay, and from quarter past eight, you get the drift. I could go through the whole time, but I'm not. But we could say that, couldn't we? And, and it must meet, community groups can only meet on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Does that help everybody connect and grow? No, because there are people who can't maybe make Tuesday nights. They can't make every evening. They can't get there to have tea at eight. We need to be flexible. 
We have groups in our, in our church that meet in different times. We have one that meets on a Sunday. We have some that meets on a Thursday. We have one that meets on a Monday evening via Zoom. There's lots of different ways. The principle is the same. The idea is we want to connect people. And the idea of this Jesus thing, the idea of a relationship with God, yeah, it's, it's, you need to get into this new thing, a way of doing it through me. So no one is someone who's inflexible. So no one is someone who's not only clings to the past and is inflexible, but actually thinks the old ways better and even willing to, and willing to consider the new. As Jesus finishes with this statement, and this is directed at the Pharisees, he's saying, you are a no one. Because a no one who's tasted the old wine and then the new thinks that the old wine is better. And this is where Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are the no ones. Because <laughs> you think the old ways are better. I'm bringing a new thing, a new way of relating to God. One that is no longer based on your rules and regulations. One that's based purely on faith in me and who I am and what I've done. You've seen what I've done. I healed a leper and restored him. I healed a paralyzed man and made him well. I've restored someone who's seen as corrupt and shameful back into their community. You've seen that and yet you don't want any part of it you think your old way of doing things, your old system of rules and regulations is best. The world doesn't need a load of no ones. The world needs a church to be a someone, not a no one. The world needs people like you and I to be those who know and love Jesus, who have experienced what it is to be forgiven by him. Jesus is saying the Christian is just not someone who follows another set of rules that's added to an already existing set of rules. That's because that's not what the world needs. Jesus is saying that this new dynamic, effervescent life that he brings, the kingdom of God that's coming, cannot be held in an old rigid system because the old rigid system discounts people and makes them nobodies when God actually sees them as somebodies. Just in John, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave them his one and only son. God didn't say, you're all nobodies. He says, I loved you. You are someone to me. Therefore, I'm going to send my son so that you believe in him and follow him and trust in him. You'll be a somebody in the kingdom of heaven because God loves you. God sees you and God knows you. Others may not. The world may not see you. The world may discount you, but God sees you. God loves you, that he would send his one and only son. God says, I'm making you a someone, even though others might consider you a nobody. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, not many of you, or us, were wise by human standards, had insignificance of influence, or of noble birth when we met Jesus. But God chose these nobodies. Those that are shameful in the eyes of the world to shame the strong by giving us his glory and his honor. So the world doesn't just need another set of religious practices, but needs people, you and me, who know and love Jesus and who are willing to be transformed by the power of his spirit to be those who live out and can share this wonderful new covenant, this wonderful new way of doing things, this wonderful new way of inclusion of making people from nobodies become somebodies. It's got God promises. 
It needs those who know what it is to be transformed from a no one to a someone. That's just Paul just wrote. We, we, we knew we were no ones and God chose us. God didn't choose us on our own merit. <clears throat> God chose us because he chose us. And he makes us a someone. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to come back to this wonderful moment of worship, acknowledging who this wonderful God is. The new covenant he gives to us. A new way of living with God. And I just remind us again of our vision statement. The world needs a church to be a someone, not a no one. It starts with us coming to Jesus ourselves. Myself. We need to be bringing myself, me, you, ourselves to Jesus regularly, every day. We recommend doing something like 20 minutes from the Bible, using our, our blog as a starting point. It's a way to remind ourselves of who God makes us, of who God calls us, who defines us as a someone. It's Jesus. We need to be reminding ourselves every day, bringing myself to Jesus. And then that one another, this idea instead of community groups where we're flexibly encouraging and being together, helping one another in their relationship and their walk with God, reminding each other it's not a set of rules. Reminding each other, you are someone, you are loved by God. Even though you may be going through a really rubbish time, there may be stuff going on in your workplace, your family, your school, that you feel just, I'm, worth, I'm unworthy, I am worthless, I am horrible. And we need the encouragement of one another to say, no, you are a someone in Jesus. Don't let other people define you. Let Jesus define you. We need those moments together. We can't do it on our own. And finally, this idea of our community. As I said, the world needs a church to be a someone, not a no one. We need to think about who we are including and excluding in our lives, in our workplaces. Are we looking out for the people that maybe others think of nobodies and saying, you know what, Jesus loves you. Are we practicing hospitality? Are we serving we have serendipity on a Monday, which is serving people who generally are excluded, either socially or economically. And we want to help people reach out, one way of serving. There may be other things that you think you can do in the communities you live in to restore people who are considered nobodies to being someone's. But it starts with us. It starts with our relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus makes someone from a no one. Jesus wants to speak to you today. If you don't know or follow Jesus at the moment, he wants to say, you can do it. I want to take you. I want to come and eat with you, a sinner. I want to come into your house. I want to come into your life. Because I accept you and I love you. You may need to take that first step, believing and trusting in Jesus. And he will take you from the position of feeling of a no one and make you a someone in his kingdom in his world, in the future world that he has for us. You may be in that position. I'd love to speak to you. There'll be others who would love to talk to you. We want to pray with the prayer team at the end. But also we need to be thinking about who we're serving. How can we serve? Talk about it in your community groups. Pray about it in your community groups. Great way of showing the world that Jesus has not discounted them and forgotten them. Stand. Just pray, and then we'll just 
spend some time focusing on this wonderful Jesus, this wonderful Savior. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to us. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way that you see us, Lord, the way no one else sees us at times. We thank you that you restore us to a place of honor from shame. You give us new hope. You give us new identity. You give us a new life, one that doesn't fit anymore into the old system, the old system of rules, the old systems of I must behave better, I must do better. You've blown that away and brought this new way of life, this new covenant, this new promise of life with God that is based on you alone, Jesus. And our trust continues to help us grow in trust, help us to grow in understanding of our place in you, help us to find ongoing freedom and joy in what it is to be counted as someone by you, Jesus. Just come and meet with us now, Holy Spirit. Come and pour the love of God again into our hearts. That we will be strengthened and encouraged. Come now, Holy Spirit.